You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mean Old Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Today, we're going to talk about home births. So there have been a ton of articles on women, particularly African-American women, doing home births with midwives versus delivering in a hospital setting. There's one article in particular from Pew.com that states that a midwifery clinic in Memphis is completely booked The callers are, quote, terrified that they or their babies will contract the novel coronavirus if they deliver in hospitals, end quote. But even without the pandemic, there have been a black home birth initiative across some states. So the initiative quotes that in the United States, black birthing people are more likely to die in childbirth, more likely to have pregnancy and birth-related complications, more likely to suffer a loss of pregnancy, more likely to lose their baby within the first year of life, and more likely to have a preterm birth. Community midwifery care, especially with a black provider, has been shown to defy these statistics, but with high upfront cost and limited access to black midwives, there have been significant barriers to accessing care. Less than 5% of home birth families are black. Hmm. To help me discuss this further, I brought one of my amazing friends to help me break down some things, Dr. Brian Anderson. Dr. Hunter Anderson is a board-certified OBGYN in New Orleans, Louisiana, She did her undergrad training at Howard University, followed by medical school at the Tulane University, which is how we met. She then completed her OBGYN training at University of Mississippi, or a.k.a. Ole Miss, and she now practices full-time, where she focuses on preventative gynecological issues, minimally invasive techniques, and is proud of caring for women from menarche, meaning when you first get your cycle, to menopause. She is the wife of Jared Anderson, founder of Lanyap Legends, and together they have two kids. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Dr. Plenty. I am so happy to make my debut on Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty. Yay! I love it! I love having friends on the podcast. So... Let's talk about some cases of home birth. So I don't know how you feel. So basically, what's what's been your general experience? Have you ever done a home birth yourself? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. We don't do home births. But have you worked with midwives before? 
I have worked with midwives in a hospital setting, but I have not worked with midwives that do home births. My only interaction with them is when they come into the hospital when something has gone absolutely insane at home trying that home birth. So let's talk through this case then, um, because I think that this is a scenario that honestly, we both had experiences with people transferring in after having a home birth um, by a midwife with a doula at home or delivering themselves on their own <laughs> at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk through this case um, and break it down. So I wanted to discuss it because you actually shared this article with me. Um, so there was an article about a home birth of one of the stars of Real Housewives of Orange County, Kara Bosworth. She discussed her unfortunate situation um, and her birthing experience on Good Morning America. So for the listeners who don't know this story, here's a recap. So she and her family decided to have a home birth for their second pregnancy. However, she was seeing an OBGYN and midwife team at a hospital system the whole pregnancy and then decided on a home birth um, at the end of her pregnancy. Her water broke at 38 weeks and she asked her husband to run the water in the birthing tub in the living room. Two hours later, she felt that the delivery was going to be quicker than it was last time. So she told her husband to call the midwife. The midwife arrived at 2.30 a.m. just as she had the urge to push. She recalls that the head delivered quickly of the baby, but not the rest of the body. The midwife's assistant called 911, and for nine minutes, they worked to get the baby delivered. The emergency team entered the home just as the rest of the baby was delivered. Their son, which they found out at the time of delivery, they were having a surprise ginger at delivery. The son was unresponsive upon delivery. The paramedics delivered chest compressions to try to to revive their 11-pound, 4-ounce baby and rushed him to the hospital. Her husband, Kyle, went with their son, so he rode in the ambulance, And Kara stayed home to deliver the placenta with the midwife and the midwife's team and doula. Compressions were done for 45 minutes before they finally regained a pulse in the baby. However, after six days on life support and evidence of severe brain damage on MRI, they decided to remove their son from life support and he died. So, Brian, what are your immediate thoughts on this case? How sad. I mean, my condolences, obviously, to that family, but I can't help but wonder, would this have been prevented and had a better outcome if she was in a setting that allowed her to have access to people who could provide emergency care rather than being in her home? I just, I I guess for us, and I'm trying to think of the last time I had a shoulder dystocia, and you have to document the time Right. The first thing you do is say somebody take time. time. Right. Right. Time. And so you're documenting this time and you're doing all the maneuvers. Right. Right. You're hyperflexing the legs back. You're giving pressure to try to make sure that you're widening that distance uh, of the outlet. And then you have to say how long it took to relieve and what maneuvers you did to help get the baby out. And I remember the last shoulder social I had lasted 44 seconds, right? 44 seconds felt like an hour. An eternity, right. Oh, my God. What was the longest shoulder social you've had? It's never been longer than a minute. 
if it was so, that long, but it feels like it's forever. Oh my God. Like the adrenaline is rushing. Like it, it feels like you are like fight or flight. Like it is, it is one of the most nerve wracking experience as an OBGYN that you will ever experience. So what do you think about this nine minutes? I think it's crazy. Like, what were you trying to do for nine minutes? Like, what maneuvers were you doing? Who was there helping you? What did you try? Nine minutes, I would be in the OR. The the baby would be out out. in five minutes. So I'm just so confused about the, the nine minute thing. And it makes me think that maybe they did not know the actual maneuvers to do to deliver a shoulder dystocia. She describes trying to cradle up and really strain and push this baby out for nine minutes. And you know, the baby could come out because the baby eventually came out after nine minutes. I don't know. I just read through this. I read through this article three or four times last night because I was trying to gather myself and figure out like how in the world this lasted nine whole minutes. And to people that are listening, that may be like, Oh, that's less than 10 minutes. Like, no, like, after about four minutes, you know you're going to have a, a baby that has a bad outcome. So nine minutes is a lot. So, um, Brian, tell the listeners some of the risk factors for shoulder dystocia. So moms who have diabetes, diabetes before pregnancy, or if they have gest- gestational diabetes, if they have fetal macrosomia or a really huge baby, like an 11-pound baby inside of their uterus, um, if you have excess weight gain in pregnancy or if you start off being um, morbidly obese from the beginning. Could this have been prevented? Like, break down to me your thoughts on if this actually so, could have been prevented. I don't know all the specifics, but I would imagine that if someone has an 11-pound baby, that their fundal height is going to be higher than their gestational age which would prompt an ultrasound even after 20 weeks. So true, we don't routinely do ultrasounds after 20 weeks. You get your dating ultrasound initially and then your anatomy scan around 20 weeks and then you get medically indicated ultrasounds. For me, this would have been a medically indicated ultrasound. And if I was seeing a patient regularly, then I would think that I would have noticed something would have been a tad bit off. I don't know. And she said that she delivered a few days past her due date. What exactly is a few days? Even uh, it was it really two weeks past her due date? Because that's a time where fetus of the baby can continue to gain weight. But 11 pounds is still a lot. And if you were seeing a midwife and an OB, is this the same midwife you were seeing in clinic that does home births? I just, it doesn't make sense. Like, I feel like there's a lot of gray areas and unanswered questions. Right. Because the last time she saw her doctors was, according to this article, around 38 weeks. Correct. And she went home and waited. I went home and waited. I just, I don't know. I mean, I I think that there's, it, it frightens me because there is a wave of women especially black women that are delivering at home now, not because of COVID, but because they think they're going to get away from systemic racism and bias. So they're like, Oh, I'm going to deliver at home with a midwife instead of going to the hospital because those doctors there are biased. The system is set up against us. So I think this is a better option 
not knowing that you're going back to a third world country, basically. Right. To deliver. There's just too many unknowns. Like, it sounds good to say you're going to be in the comfort of your home and have all of your family and be in your environment. But honestly, Cole, we do so many things now to try and create whatever kind of natural experience moms want when giving birth to their babies just to avoid them feeling the need that they have to be home and isolated. So we do all kinds of things in the hospital nowadays so moms don't have to feel that they need to be isolated in their home or in the comfort of their home. We give water birth options. You can bring a doula in. You can labor walking around. You can labor sitting on a ball. You can labor on all fours. There's just a variety of ways to make the experience what you wanted, and you can talk that through with your doctor or midwife that actually works in a hospital setting. Now, I would say this. Um, so there's a patient that I had that's 37 that was telling me, hey, am I going to die? Right? They think Black women think they're going to die now because of systemic racism. And I would encourage people, if you're really having those thoughts, like really talk to your OB about what your concerns are um, about that. But taking yourself out of the hospital that could potentially save you for you to be at home and then something happened for you to be rushed back to that hospital late now that could potentially save you is doing yourself a disservice. And for a lot of African-Americans in general, they have underlying health conditions that they don't know about. That's why the pandemic has been so bad to the African-American community because they have undiagnosed diabetes or undiagnosed high blood pressure. And you may think you're low risk because nobody's physically specifically said you have high blood pressure issues or you're obese, but that doesn't change the fact that you're obese or that you have high blood pressure. And you don't know that until you're at home and you have a stroke or you're at home and you have a shoulder dystocia. Um, because this lady here, although it says she didn't have any risk factors, I want to know what her one hour glucola was. Don't you want to know? Absolutely. Or did she do one? Did you do one? Right. Because an 11 ounce, I mean, 11 pound, four ounce baby is born to a diabetic mom until proven otherwise. Like <laughs> that baby was probably hypoglycemic coming out of the womb. Wouldn't you say so? I would definitely think so. That's yeah. big. Yeah, that's that's big. Uh, what's the average size baby? Maybe seven pounds. Seven pounds. Average. So this baby was four pounds above average. So the fact that it came out even after pushing for nine minutes is amazing. Right. And she's not a big girl. She's t she's a tiny, she's a tiny woman. Yeah. She's not big. So um, what are your thoughts um, about the home birth movement in general and midwifery? So for home births, my thoughts are don't do it. For midwifery, <laughs> it depends. If they're so... In New Orleans, there are midwives that I collaborate with in my practice, and they deliver in the hospital where we are immediately accessible to them. That's fine. Then there's the other spectrum of midwives that offer home births that have no attachment to 
a hospital and just come running in with a patient, for example, that was 42 weeks and crowning and had been pushing for six hours and they couldn't get the baby out. And I just so happened to be the one on call to get that case. Baby's out, baby's alive, but that's crazy. So if you're going to choose a midwife, I think midwives in general are a good option for some people. They do a lot more of the naturalistic approach to labor and delivery. Um, and a lot of patients opt for that or are looking for that these, these days. And I have patients that I'll meet and I'll say, hey, I think you should meet our midwives because they may tailor to your needs a little bit better. And if you don't, come on back to see me. But those that are at home doing renegade births, don't do it. Yeah, so there are differences between midwives. So not all midwives are created equal. So you have your lay midwife that went to school online and might have been taught by another lay midwife birthing techniques. And then you have certified nurse midwives. So uh, what Brianna is talking about, those will be certified nurse midwives. They have been nurses for a number of years and then they go back to school for about 18 months and they get training in midwifery and they usually do some deliveries with the supervision of both midwives and physicians that then teach them um, different techniques. But again, um, they only have 18 months of training. They cannot do C-sections. They cannot do, if it's an extensive like tear, vaginal repair, they can't do it. And so that is why they work in conjunction with OBGYNs. And so their deliveries are a team approach. So they understand everybody has a role in that team. So I love working with midwives. I think they're amazing um, for a high risk specialist. I think it's great. It's an option for me not to have to be on call. And since there's not a lot of us in the country, we do work a lot closer with our um Midwives. Did I say I love late midwives? I don't love late midwives. No, you did not. You did not say that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Edit that. (laughs) But um, so as a high risk specialist, I work with a lot of hospitalists and midwives sometimes act as hospitalists. So I think that they do an excellent job, but we all have our roles, right? And if they're delivering somebody that's a high risk specialist, we are definitely there and on backup. And or there's an OBGYN in-house um, that can back them up just in case they need a C-section. Lay, with, lay midwives don't have that kind of training. I don't know what they have. And uh, the American Association of Nurse Midwifery does not support the practice of lay midwives. So you do need to look up if you're going to go to a midwife, whether it's somebody that's a lay midwife or a certified nurse midwife. Now, she said certified midwife. So I don't know if a certified nurse midwife or if it was a lay midwife, um, because I can't imagine somebody famous delivering at home with somebody not qualified to, to do maneuvers of a shoulder dystocia. But that's that's just me. That's just me. So the case pearl is regardless of the provider you choose, whether that's an OBGYN family medicine doctor or midwife always make sure to choose the safest delivery option for you and the safest place for you not what is most convenient let's go to our medical resident to see if we have any other cases to discuss yes we have another case there's a 32 year old caucasian woman who was 37 weeks pregnant with twins 
She was followed by an OBGYN as well as a maternal fetal medicine physician, but stated many times that she did not want to deliver in the hospital because she wanted a natural birth. Despite being seen in the clinic the day before with labor symptoms, she refused to go to the hospital. She went home and her husband delivered both babies. She lost about three liters of blood before her husband called the paramedics. She was found to have no pulse when the paramedics arrived. She was intubated and rushed to the hospital where the placenta was delivered and she was admitted to the ICU. Two weeks later, after minimal brain activity was found on the MRI and the EEG, the patient's husband took her off of life support. Both babies survived and were taken home by their father and close family friends. This is a sad case. Um, To me, um, this case has a lot of complexity. So she had a lot of high risk issues. Um, She had twins. Twins in general are considered high risk pregnancies. So pushing one baby out is hard. Pushing two babies out is twice as hard. She definitely had a high risk pregnancy there. She was diabetic. So that made her high risk as well. And I don't know if it was explained to her that twins have issues and a lot of complications like uh, increased blood loss and, and the need to control hemorrhage at the time of delivery. But the fact that she was going to see, you know, to clinic and just decided she didn't want to go to the hospital is amazing. So um, what do you think, uh, Brian, about her high risk issues and this patient's understanding or lack of understanding of the severity of what was going on? I think that based on the numerous times she was counseled and explained that her having a home birth would not be a good idea for her and her babies, that there obviously was something there that wasn't connecting, right? Because if you, if you're pregnant with one baby, that's one thing. If you're pregnant with the baby and you have risk factors, that's another thing. If you're pregnant with two babies and you have risk factors, that's a whole new ball game. So for you to not grasp the severity of the need that either you may need to have once this baby delivers or these babies because they're twins and they can have multiple issues when they deliver, then something obviously wasn't connecting there. So I don't think she really got it at all. Right, because I, I feel like if she got it, she wouldn't have been like, I'm going to risk my life to have these babies at home. Correct. Because that's exactly what she did. She really risked her life um, to have both of these babies, quote unquote, naturally. But unfortunately, now these babies who went home perfectly normal, didn't spend any time in the nursery or the NICU, are now being raised without a mother. Super sad. Super sad. I remember that case vividly. Yes. So this is a case that was similar to one that we had while we were training and um, it was it was sad. Now, on a side note, and not to make light of this, because this is a very serious matter. The close family member and the father, you know, you would think that somebody would get it, even if the mom didn't get it. But for the close family member and the father not to get it and not to call the ambulance even after till after the babies were delivered and the mom is bleeding out. That's crazy. Yeah. Makes you wonder. Yeah. It does make you wonder like what was going on there? Was this a setup? But mm-hmm. either way, 
But either way, so um, let's talk about what our risk factors are for Kimridge. So who should be delivering at home and who's at risk for bleeding out? Maybe a better question is, who would be a good candidate for a home birth and who would be a good candidate to not have a home birth? I don't know that I can answer that question because I don't support home births. But um, I think that if you have any risk factors like or things, maybe red flags for someone who's considering a home birth, if you have medical problems, if it's your first baby and you're morbidly obese, I think that's a risk factor. If you have had babies before and, you know, you've had a postpartum hemorrhage, obviously a risk factor because you don't have that access to the blood as immediate as you would if you were in the hospital. If you had a previous C-section, there's just too many unknown variables. And yes, I've had patients who've had three C-sections try to talk to me to consent for them to have a home birth before. Craziness. <laughs> So what about somebody that has high blood pressure or diabetes? Should they be delivering at home? Right. Those people. So with diabetics, you never really know what the baby's going to need when the baby comes out. You can also, you're at higher risk for a shoulder dystocia. Um, so I don't think those are good candidates. And with high blood pressure, what if you need access to medication to lower your blood pressure? What if you have a seizure and actually get eclampsia in the middle of laboring? What's going to happen then if you don't have access to magnesium? There's just too many unknown factors. And so when we talk about shoulder dystocia for our listeners, a shoulder dystocia is what we were talking about in the first case with the baby right. getting stuck. That's when the shoulders are too broad and they're stuck um, behind the pelvic bone. So that's a you have to do certain maneuvers to get the baby out in a timely fashion. So that is what she talking about when she says uh, a shoulder dystocia. Um, and I think you mentioned magnesium. I did. <laughs> if a patient has preeclampsia, then we treat mom with magnesium through an IV um, throughout her laboring process and then oftentimes postpartum as well to help prevent her from having a seizure. And then sometimes that helps to lower her blood pressure. Um, other times she needs other antihypertensive agents to help lower her blood pressure. So if that's and not what? being active. Sorry, go ahead. If that's not being actively monitored, then you won't know those things and you won't have the tools necessary to help mom survive. And tell us what preeclampsia is. Preeclampsia is when you have a combination of high blood pressure in pregnancy and protein in the urine. You're spilling protein in your urine. So for us, high blood pressure is pressures over systolics greater than 140, over diastolics greater than 90, so 140 over 90. And then severe range um, blood pressures are systolics of 160 over diastolics of 110. You can also have symptoms like a persistent headache or seeing floaters or blurry vision or severe right upper quadrant pain, which would be pain that's kind of in mom's liver. So all of those things kind of go along with the syndrome or can go along with the syndrome of preeclampsia and can be treated in the proper settings. So unfortunately, this was um, a case that of a mom 
passing away that could have been prevented. Um, and so the case pearl for this case is talk to your doctor and listen, not everyone is a candidate for home birth. And as, as Dr. Anderson has said, we don't support home birth. <laughs> now, there are plenty of birthing centers that look like homes that you can go into. It looks like a living room and a bedroom that you can go into. There's lots of those across the U.S. that make you feel more comfortable if you don't want to deliver in um, an actual hospital bedroom. Um, so that is an option if you want something a little bit more intimate. But home births are, are, are frowned upon um, because you can't have access to emergency personnel or an OR. But if you desire home birth, make sure to talk to your doctor and make sure you are an optimal candidate for a home birth, meaning you're extremely low risk and you've had a pre previous successful vaginal delivery um, and you've been followed uh, very closely and they make sure that you um, taken all the precautions necessary. But again, this, you know, the first patient didn't have any risk factors. So again, that's why we're not really proponents of home birth. Medical resident, any emailed cases? Anybody have any questions of our listeners? Yes. So here's an email. It says, hey, Dr. Plenty, I'm 37 years old and 22 weeks pregnant with my third child. I had a really bad experience with my OBGYN last pregnancy because I had preeclampsia and had to be induced. So I decided to go with a different OBGYN. I found one that I really like, but she can't guarantee me that she will be the one to deliver my baby. There are 12 OBGYNs in her group that could potentially be on call when I deliver, and I don't want someone that I don't know delivering me. My husband thinks I should see a local midwife who has really good reviews and guarantees that she will be present for my delivery. What should I do? I... I just wish the husbands would sit down. I mean, <laughs> this is not their decision. Okay. So I understand that people want to be delivered by a specific person, but if this is not Burger King. You can't have it all your way. And sometimes we have to do what's safest for us, even if that means that things aren't perfect. Um, so th those, that's my thought about the situation. Brian. I think that her choosing a new provider is great. Um, maybe she should have chosen one that was more readily available for their deliveries. If that's something that she really um, desires, I guess I'm not quite sure if she's saying she wants or her husband thinks she should talk to a midwife. Is this a midwife that is going to do a home birth or is this a midwife who is certified that works in the hospital along with OBGYNs and OB hospitalists, because that's kind of a different situation. But I mean, I think dads can give their opinion, but yeah, you're not the one, homie. You're not the one on the table or in the bed. So, mm -hmm. well, first I have a whole bunch of questions for this, um, this person that emailed like, so you had a bad experience with your, because you had to be induced because you have preeclampsia, but that's the right thing to do. So if you have been told that you have preeclampsia and your OBGYN is not scheduling an induction, they're not doing the thing right. Like you should be delivered by 37 weeks 
And if you have severe features, meaning you have uncontrolled high blood pressure, you have symptoms of a headache or blurry vision, um, or your labs are abnormal, even if you're not 37 weeks, the right thing to do is to induce you. So unless there's something else that went on there, I'm not really understanding why that is the poor experience with the last OBGYN. So I feel like the last OBGYN is sort of kind of getting a bad rep when they probably did um, what they said, what they should do. I mean, they should induce anybody with preeclampsia. Um, it sounds like this um, this person may have had a birth plan that they wanted to see followed. Um, and that may be why they had a bad experience being induced because they specifically said being induced. So I, I just caution listeners like being induced is not a bad thing. Being induced could mean that it's saving you, your life and your baby's life. So please, if somebody says you need to be induced for a medical reason, do not frown upon being induced. The other thing is, Brian. so I'm not sure how many people are in your group, but there will be a time when you are not going to be able to deliver every baby. Even the midwife won't be able to deliver any, every baby. Right. And that's something... I encounter with patients on a daily basis and I tell them, like, I understand that I'm your doctor and believe me, probably more than you want to, I want to be there and share in this experience with you. However, I'm human. I have a family. I have children and I have other commitments than just being a doctor. So sometimes those commitments may supersede my ability to be at the hospital for your delivery. And some patients get it and some patients don't get it. Um, But we have that conversation up front. Like, just understand that I want to be there. I'll do my best to be there, but I won't be. Sometimes I just can't make it. So what are some things that you do for patients that have those questions? Like, how do you make them feel at ease about your partners? I talk to them and tell them who my partners are. Um, In my previous practice, they actually used to rotate through all six of the partners. But in my current practice in New Orleans, there's about 14 of us. So they don't rotate um, at all. But we'll talk about things and we'll talk about what they desire for their birth. And I make clear notations in their chart. Um, I tell them that I'm in constant communication with my partners. So if it's a situation where I can't make it, it doesn't mean that I can't communicate with my partner and say, hey, this patient really wants A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Can you do your best to make that happen? But ultimately, I leave with the understanding that I will do my best to be there. And a lot of times, I feel guilt when I can't make it to delivery. And I don't think patients realize that. Like, as much as you want me there, I want to be there. So I honestly feel guilt, but it's nice when the patient comes back and they're okay. And you realize that they had a good delivery, their baby is healthy, they're pleased with the scenario, and they still love you at the end of the day. For this um, patient, I would say directly, If the midwife, as Dr. Anderson has said, if the midwife is affiliated with a hospital and works in conjunction with other providers, so they're doing a team-based approach, and you feel more comfortable with that midwife, I would say, sure. If it's not just your husband pushing you and that's what you want to do, great. But if this is a home delivery 
um, I would frown upon that. That's that's my direct and final answer. You agree? Agreed. Well, Dr. Anderson, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for helping me talk through some of these scenarios. Please let our listeners know how they can follow you, book an appointment with you, or any future projects you have coming up. So tell the people how to find you. Sure. So if you have Instagram, you can find me at Nola Belladoc, N-O-L-A-B-E-L-L-A-D-O-C. Or if you have questions or concerns, you can shoot me a message at nolabelladoc at gmail.com. Thank you so much. If you are someone you know has a, has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Also, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. Remember, always advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.